this. He's the Saber Advisors audio experience. Well, I will start, I guess, the conversation. I think the thought behind the great resignation and wanting to cover that in our room today was a couple fold. One, um, it's such a hot topic of conversation. And I think, you know, it's good to have some context as to what it actually is, um, because we hear a lot about it, but we don't necessarily get the specifics. Um, I think we can also delve into the whys behind, you know, why is it happening? Um, and then also from a company perspective, if you're a leader, if you are, um, you know, in a position of control within your organization, or even if you're not, how can you positively influence your retention of your team members during this time? And on the flip side, if you are someone who has decided, hey, um, this place is no longer serving me or my my ambitions, um, how do you make a, a solid move and not recreate the past in your next opportunity? So, um, that was sort of my thought b- behind the topic. I'd love to just throw out a stat and get people's, you know, sort of feedback on it. Um, and the stat is that of the people, okay, actually, let me go back. So back in May, I want to say 36% of all the folks in the U.S. claim to be searching for a new job. So just a little bit over a third of people back in May were looking for a new job. If that pace would have continued, um, it would have been one thing, but that pace has actually accelerated. And now in August, the new statistic is 64% of people in the U.S. are now open to a new opportunity or actively searching for a new job. And of those 64% of people, 46% of women um, are citing one of their one of their reasons for looking is compensation compared with 34% of men. And that statistic based on finance for individuals is even higher if you are a person of color. Um, Last little thing I want to say is that it's not just financial reasons that are driving the great resignation. One of the other things is this overall feeling of well-being has become so much more important to us as people throughout the pandemic, as well as things like job growth, learning new skills, um, and having um, you know an environment where you feel like you're appreciated. So any thoughts on any of those stats that I threw out? Is anybody seeing or hearing the same things? Sorry to be a stat machine so early in the morning. I just like the context and the framing of stats. No, I love it. And I was trying to jot those all down because I think it's really validating for what everybody is feeling, right? Um, I, I think I don't, I'm just really grateful that you you brought this up, Allison, because I I think we're all feeling it as our industry's aging and we're not seeing the younger people come in for all of those reasons that you just listed. I love that. And I would also add too that there was a recent BizNow article um, that said that our industry, commercial real estate, 55% of it is over the age of 50. And if you saw, I know Britt had posted an article about how over 50% of folks want to retire, I think at the age of 60 or 62, that means we're sort of headed off a cliff within commercial real estate. Um, But I wish, I wish we had a way to share resources with folks um, in fortune other, or in 
Clubhouse other than just talking about them. But my stats earlier from an article in Fortune magazine called The Real Reason Everyone is Quitting Their Jobs Right Now. So if you want to Google that, that's the article where I got all the stats from, which I thought were so interesting. It's, it's an interesting, the, the statistics are interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, given, given how much across the board demand there is for workers of, of, of any ilk, right? Because by all accounts, all there are are job, jobs available. And, and the fact that so many people are looking to make changes and having, maybe having trouble making changes. And, and clearly there, there's mindset and there's, and there's salary and all of those things that come into play. But, you know, f- from what I see, and, and I am clearly and, and admittedly not the stat machine um, that you are or by, anybody, by any stretch of the imagination, there's just tons of, there's tons of jobs out there. And so I just I wonder how where 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 the problem is with the mix and the match of, of that. Kyle, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about this, especially from sort of the hospitality uh, F and B standpoint, because I know that's another industry where you see these signs posted all the time. You know, hey, nobody wants to work anymore. Be nice to our staff. What do you think are some of the reasons behind that specific industry sector not being able to attract or retain talent? Yeah, of course. I know everybody has, has seen the signs. I feel like I see them every place I go, every, every sort of food establishment I go. Um, you know, I really think the restaurant industry is suffering from a self-inflicted wound here. And I think it's, you know, almost um, that the – the pandemic had to happen to fix a lot of what's wrong with the industry. And, and um, you know, for sure, the federal funds and the unemployment stuff allowed, you know, whether they're hospitality lifers or if they're just somebody working their way through nursing school to really, you know, build up a little bit of a cushion and then say, you know what, I don't really like working for this guy. Or, you know, he never gives me off, uh, you know, even when I request it six weeks in a row or the line cooks there are harassing me or whatever the case is. And it's just giving people pause to say, if I'm going to work here for any period of time, I'm going to I'm really going to, you know, take my time. And I think restaurants have to take a look at their a uh, internal operations um, and their hiring practices and create a culture and environment where people actually want to be there because now they have a choice. And, um, you know, there are a lot of things that weigh into it other than that, you know, are, do they feel safe? You know, the, the, are they taking into consideration my thoughts, my input on, on the ideas, or am I just, you know, a number here? Um, for years, the industry has been plagued by, by that feeling where, you know, you're told like you could be replaced. And that's not a great, not a great feeling. So I think people have learned that they can move on and, and be okay. And, and I think that's what they're seeing right now. So good. And just want to say good morning to Jay. Thanks for joining us. We're talking about the great resignation. Anything you want to add specifically, Jay, we're talking about, well, Kyle just talked about why the food and beverage industry and hospitality is struggling so much with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, first off, hello, everybody. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be here uh, getting onto a clubhouse chat like this late is uh, very stressful for me with all the people that I love here. So uh, happy that I could jump on. And, you know, I, I 
without having any real context for what was already discussed and shared, I, I would love to talk about really, you know, obviously what the commercial real estate industry is up against and what we see happening, you know, over the next, uh, however many months, you know, I think, um, I think that it's super interesting to think about, you know, kind of the, the fact that we all know that there's very, unfortunately, there's a high barrier to entry for young people in the industry as a whole. So the far majority of the, of the folks in CRE are, are, you know, are on the older side of the, of the spectrum. Right. So, um, you know, what does that mean? Um, you know, I also, I'll throw it out there that I've seen a lot of movement between brokerage companies and, uh, you know, developers and, you know, people just, uh, kind of on over the last, you know, 18, 24 months at this point, you know, kind of, I guess, uh, figuring out what's best for them kind of on a move forward. And, you know, from both a career and lifestyle and, you know, a lot of people obviously relocating and all of that fun stuff. Like what, what does that mean for commercial real I think it means a lot of different things, and I'd love to hear Carrie's thoughts. And I also want to welcome Christina Ballas, who is an executive over at Coldwell Banker Commercial, who is a great friend of mine as well. I'm sure she might have some ideas on the topic. Um, I, I always go back to the value proposition that you as a company um, or your team have to not just attract and, you know, sort of recruit new talent, but especially to retain the people existing within your organizations. I think, you know, I worked for a company early in my commercial real estate career that had a real strategy built around lagging the market in terms of compensation. And so if you think about like, what does it mean to lag the market? There's a spectrum of, you know, being seriously behind, behind, on par, a little bit better and significantly better than the market. And they chose to, you know, go forward with this. We're going to lag the market with a compensation strategy and that built into their business a certain amount of turnover that they were just okay with. Well, now what has happened to that particular company in a time like this is now they're having to go significantly ahead of the market from a compensation standpoint because the reputation of the firm has suffered so mightily and the turnover has been so significant Um and that's a part of your value proposition. Compen compensation is just one small facet. There are so many other components that I think go into it. And I know Carrie, Carrie and Jay, you know, you guys are in a different position than a lot of companies because you have folks sort of in your DMs, waiting in the wings, beating down your doors to join your teams. But um, I think it's because you've created something really unique. Um, not just you've addressed some of the compensation issues that are a barrier to entry for people in our business, but also because you guys take so much time with people's individual growth and development, creating a culture where people feel welcome and appreciated and supported. Um, but that's just my two cents. I'd love to hear from you, Christina, if you have anything to add there, or if you had another comment. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And thanks for, thanks for having me, um, kind of join the conversation. I, um, 
you know, our company has seen in the past two years, actually 100% retention at the company level. So um, Cobalt Banker Commercial is kind of unique that we have company owned and we have franchises. For our franchises to date, um, for anybody that had renewals up this year, we've we've so far had 100% renewal rates too. So um, we've actually seen really amazing um you know, differences based regarding the industry. And I think a lot of it has to do with the pre-work before the pandemic, before we knew any of this was hitting us, of really building a culture of caring. And you touched on that in the beginning. Um, and we had some leadership changes um, and a new leadership with Dan Spiegel was really about that, like just making sure people felt supported no matter what. There was nobody that they could go to from you know a broker perspective that would say, oh, that's not my job. Let me get you to someone else. It was like, I will figure out how to fix that. But as an employee, I have never felt more valued um, than I do today from my company perspective. And that has gone so far in, in retaining us. So I think the, uh, the great kind of resignation is, is a catch up, right? That's, that's at least my opinion is that there was probably a lot of people that were really frustrated, but dealing with it. And this was just kind of an ignition to making people make decisions to, to change their lives for the better if they were disappointed. So I think it's really, putting a big mirror, um, unfortunately, in front of some, you know, corporate practices um, that that really highlights the, the huge gap in uh, making employees feel valuable and how valuable that is from a retention perspective. So I think we're, we're feeling the catch up. And I think companies will really understand, I think that it'll, the pendulum will swing the other way where will where the policies that they have in place or ways that they support their employees may shift um, dramatically, I think. Um, at least that's, that's, that's my take. I think you're, I think you're right, Christina, because what, just from a small business owner's perspective, I feel like, and I, you know, I was at CBRE for 16 years, so I understand how the, the large corporations work and it's like shifting an aircraft carrier. It just takes time and a lot of small movements to try and move it. And I think the, advantage that young people might not be thinking about. I'm, I'm honestly not sure. I know I wasn't thinking about it when I was entering the industry, but the agility that small companies have to make those changes, they might not be able to offer the 401k or some certain benefits or whatever those things are, but they can play with the lifestyle a lot more. And Allison and I have talked a lot about this nomad lifestyle that more and more people, including Allison, are living and they're seeking out and they're choosing that over certain compensation packages. And I think you're going to start to see the bigger companies shift more like what you're, you guys are offering, Christina. I think that's a huge value add that a lot of large companies haven't started doing yet, but they're going to have to. And then Allison, a, a month or so ago, you and I were talking and you you called the commercial real estate industry, the invisible industry that young people just don't even know that it exists. They don't even really think about it. <clears throat> and I think that really stuck with me because I think that's true about educating young people, like even at the high school level, as to what the industry even is and all the different nuances. There's so many cool aspects of commercial real estate. Um and I think there was one other point I wanted to hit, but I thought, I thought what you were saying, Christina, is spot on. Allison, I love the invisible industry, and I want, I'd love for you to speak to the nomad lifestyle and what you're seeing 
like the, the young generation seeking out as job seekers? Yeah, I'd love to. I don't know that I'm going to lump myself in with the young generation other than I, I'm a digital nomad and I love the lifestyle and it really works for me. You know, I think one of the beautiful silver linings of this time in our country has been that we were all sort of sent to our rooms to think about what we had done. Um, both from a personal perspective, but also certainly from a career and business perspective. And a lot of us are sort of emerging from that cocooning period in our lives with different priorities, um, different feelings about, you know, what's important, what we want our futures to look like, and a desire for so much more control over the outcomes and what things look like and even small, small things like, um, you know, our day-to-day schedules or big things like our locations. And so I do think that it is, um, a logistical and compliance sort of exercise to be able to free up your team. It's easier for me. I'm a, I'm a small business owner and I can sort of pick up and go. Um, you know, I picked residency in a particular state that had really, um, sort of good benefits for folks like me who want to live this lifestyle. And if I were an employee, um, of a company, my employer would just have to figure out that one state. And then I would have that as sort of the basis for my tax. That's really where the wrinkle comes in is if you try to have no, home state. Um, But I do see more candidates looking for flexibility, whether that's choosing their own work hours, um, deciding if they want to come into an office or not, um, basically wanting to be the captains of their own ship and and have a lot more control. So I hope I answered that, Carrie. Um, And I'm just going to mute myself real quick because there's a truck going by. I I think First off, Allison, I, I just love uh, listening to Allison. It's uh, it's great. You're you're so smart, and uh, and 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 you're a vibe beyond that. So I love it, Andrea. Welcome to the stage. Uh, Thank jump. you, Jason. I you know I realized I recognized you at the at Jared Epstein's uh, Eric Adams event. I think you were there, but we didn't say hi to each other. Anyway, I do I say was. hi to Corey. Yeah. yeah, I say hi to Corey every morning in Central Park. We're up at 4 a.m. together in the darkness. Um, Hello again. <laughs> hey, Corey, I'll give you a little background on myself. I, I work for uh, actually my mother, but I worked in oil and gas for most of my career, below ground real estate. Um, I We run a multi-billion dollar portfolio of office buildings in Manhattan and warehouses in the boroughs. We're vertically integrated and long-term oriented. And I sit on the board of Habitat for Humanity as well as the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. And it sounds like a lot of people here are involved in small businesses, and that's the goal of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce is to, to promote those businesses and the city's, you know, economic return. Um, I just I'm, my question to the team up here is because you have such experts: is if you had a blank check, how would you spend it? What would you buy in real estate? I'm going to let everybody else answer first because they're more the experts. Maybe Corey, I don't know if you're with us, Corey. I'd love to hear what you have to say on this. Well, I am here. Um, quite, you know, quite frankly, because of, you know, my 99.9% retail focus, uh, 
I think that there are tremendous opportunity. There are tr- a fair, a tremendous amount of opportunities in the retail sector, but not so much in the New York City market currently. Um, I'm not inundated with opportunities, but I have been seeing more and more opportunities in more of the um, suburban markets in in and around. Uh, the the metro area into Philadelphia and even into Philly and par- certain parts of New Jersey. So I always, you know, my value add to something is really on the retail side. So if I had that blank check, I would continue to look at those things. And I know, you know, the basics are the grocery anchored centers and things like that, the CVS anchored centers. And so I, I keep my eye on that kind of stuff. Would I love to be buying uh, more in New York City? Absolutely. It's my it's my home base. It's my home. Uh, I just haven't seen the numbers uh, come around, even with a blank check. I'm not sure that they're it's, it's the right place to spend your money. But uh, certainly uh, solid uh, retail stuff. Uh, value add is a little bit more challenging today. So if you have solid, you know, solid income producing uh, opportunities are great. And I continue to look for them on a regular basis. And if you have a blank check for me, please send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll jump in here to kind of echo, uh, you know, Corey. I mean, obviously, I too am, you know, 99% retail focused, um, and we are actively looking at opportunities to, you know, find distressed uh, assets and, you know, add value to them. And and you know, during the pandemic, we actually invested in a. Um, a vacant party city uh, in the suburbs of New York that, you know, we know the market inside out uh, and we saw an opportunity there. And it's funny because, uh, you know, we were able to, to, to actually put it in contract for, uh, you know, a, a, a significantly lower number than uh, you could actually replace the, 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 the asset for. Right. So, you know, we, we, we thought that it was a good opportunity, and and a few of the folks that uh, were involved in 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 the deal uh, didn't necessarily think, based on the you know the the access uh, challenges of the site, uh, that it would it would be a great opportunity. Um, but we forged ahead, and you know we we tied it up. Um, we tied it up for 1.6 million, and uh, about three months after closing on the property starting down the road of leasing the asset, we got an offer for 3.6 million. So we were able to actually put that property in contract for $2 million more than we uh, purchased the property for. Now there's contingencies that haven't been met. Uh, So that deal, as we all know, could very much not happen. But the good news is we're in the retail leasing business and we understand how to lease that property regardless of whether or not, you know, that, that, uh, that sale happens. So, you know, to Corey's point, you know, very difficult, uh, you know, there's nothing really, uh, that's discounted enough for me to go out and buy in New York city, or at least I haven't seen that, I, you know, the, everything's held pretty strong regardless of, you know, the tenant's appetite for leasing at the moment, in my opinion, um, but, you know, when I talk to folks, uh, that are out there, you know, spending their, their, their entire life acquiring real estate, uh, you know, my, my, 
instincts with them are, you know, look in the markets that are are hot but have not necessarily run too far just yet. Uh, I think the Sun Belt, you know, is a major opportunity long term. Um, yeah, that's my tip. I agree with you, Jay, on the on the uh, secondary markets. I think we're going to see that grow even more. And then I also think people are investing in their homes a lot more, even if they're, they're renting. And I know we have a few properties in like urban markets that have done really exceptionally well that have retail on the first floor. It doesn't have to be super sexy, but I think people are working from their homes more. So I think there's a lot of opportunity in secondary urban markets on the multifamily or even like fourplexes those kind of things. Those are all really helpful answers. Thank you. Awesome. I would love to transition a little bit into some of the why behind the what is happening with the great resignation um, and just talk a little bit about the hiring patterns and the talent market just generally, because that's my jam. Um, we have something called sort of um, proactive attrition and proactive attrition is people leaving their jobs by their own choice. So, you know, I might be unhappy with my level of compensation or with my ability to grow within an organization. And so I put a plan into place or I just wait for the right opportunity to come along and then I make a jump. The attrition that happened, um, for, for the most part in 2020 was not that kind of attrition. It was disruption. It was furloughs. It was layoffs. It was, you know, sort of reduction in force, um, not not what people were choosing, but what people were subjected to. And so the folks that were uncomfortable in their seats sort of looked around and sat on their hands a little bit longer than they normally would. And because of that, um, we had what normally would have occurred in 2020 sort of wave over into 2021. So what we're being hit with effectively is two years worth of proactive attrition, two years worth of people really reevaluating where they want to be and where they want to go in the future and proactively making that happen, which is what you can see effectively in the doubling of that number, that stat from the beginning. In May, it was 36 people or 36% of people looking for new opportunities. And here in August, which just passed, now it's 64% of all Americans um, in the economy that are looking or open to switching their careers. So just thought I would share that nugget. It's hey, funny because all of the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say what's interesting besides it just doubling up is, um, you know, just having people maybe hang tight is I think what um, created happiness at work uh, and the concentration on if happiness matters <laughs> at work um, has really shifted too with the COVID crisis. And I suppose it depends where in the country um, maybe you live uh, just because COVID felt harder in some areas with lockdowns, et cetera, like in my state. But um, I think there was a lot more concentration on if you're lucky enough to be in a sector that is jobs aplenty, that you really now get to choose what you want to do. Such a good point. I love that. Jay, what were you going to say? You know, I think there's a compound effect of the things that, you know, traditionally speaking from a, you know, legacy real estate broker standpoint uh, versus kind of the new school mentality that's coming in, uh, you know, slowly but surely coming in. You know, I think there's a lot of 
lifestyle changes that people have been comp- contemplating, especially as a result of the pandemic, right? My, my friends who were thinking about moving out of New York City uh, did it a lot faster the minute that they had a, a reason like the pandemic to do it, right? And then my friends who decided to move to Florida uh, that were contemplating that, um, you know, all did it a lot quicker than they would have, right? So a lot of those things would have taken a lot longer to play out. But the with that kind of evolution of what's going on, I think, you know, all of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, you know, had enough time to spend thinking about what is ideal for ourselves and our families. And I think, you know, the motivation for what we do, the why, you know, behind why we get up in the morning, you know, is is maybe different today than it was for each of us as individuals 18 months ago. 24 months ago. And I think that's going to continue to happen, right? Because we, we're all more mortal maybe than we realized, right? We all have either directly or indirectly been impacted with, with health, um, you know, with wellness, with all of those other things. And, you know, I, quite frankly, everybody that's on here uh, that I know knows I have a love hate relationship with commercial real estate brokerage. Um, I, I love it and hate it so much at the same time that I will, you know, spend the rest of my life trying to make it better for people of all ages and backgrounds and experience levels and things of that nature, because I think it's such a douchey industry as a whole where it's so top heavy and it's almost built in a way that intentionally keeps the younger, less experienced people down, uh, to a point that I can't believe it's been able to actually, you know, be, be conducted this way. And it's been acceptable this way for, you know, the the 20 years that I'm in the industry. Um, and I just don't think it's fucking okay. And I feel like a lot of people that are up here and, you know, other people that are in the room, I know the ones with the pink rings around their faces feel this way, but in general, it's, I welcome this disruption in a major way. I think we're, it's long overdue. And I think if enough of us get loud enough and let people realize it's okay to do it your way uh, and your company can either support that or not. Uh, and if you're not in a position where it's not only supported, but uh, you know, promoted and embraced and encouraged, then you should be looking for a new opportunity. So good, Jay. I do think what we're experiencing is a shift away from companies being the most powerful people in the room to the people, you know, sort of power to the people and all of that. I think we're in the midst of that. And I think that that sort of time rewards companies like yours and Carrie's and Christina's and Corey's and others. I don't necessarily think it works to the benefit of some of the larger firms who for the last hundred years have been operating like the world's most formalized pyramid scheme um, with a couple of fat cats at the top throwing staplers at the people down below. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw a little shade. Um, And I also want to point out to you for every Darcy, there are a hundred chads and I could tell you so many, so many disgusting stories, but I'm not going to because it's so early in the morning. I agree, Jay, we need to fix it. 
I think we fix it by connecting to our whys and realizing that just because we had to crawl on some broken glass to get where we are, doesn't mean we want to turn around and do that to other people. And I think that's the difference. And I just want to plug for a second, Jay and Carrie and the CRE Digital Army. I think one of the reasons so many folks are considering leaving their company is that they don't feel a part of the community that may or may not exist within their organization, or even worse, the community within their organization is at odds or out of alignment with their own personal values. If you feel that way, check out the CRE Digital Army. There's a whole bunch of folks trying to make this industry a better place and community like you would not believe um, is totally available to you. And so many people in this room are a part of it. You know, that's, you know, it's a hundred, it's a hundred percent true. I wish there were, you know, I, I love seeing all of our pink rings as I look at the crowd here. I wish there were, there were even more people without the pink rings so they can really get a hold of this. And I think that, you know, uh, you know, through our through our group efforts led by Jason and Carrie, this is this is sort of the gospel that we're preaching. It's not that we want to hire everybody or, as part of our teams individually or, or in a group thing. I think we want to try to show people how the world is really just different, and they got to get a hold of it. And I say it every week, and and Jason knows it because he can look at the screen uh, just the same way. How few people here are from the New York City market. And, and, and it's, you know, I can't speak too, too globally, but it's the most arrogant group of people you've ever met. And, and that's what I deal with on a daily basis. And it's like moving a mountain. It's moving a mountain uh, in, in terms of how I deal with people. I represent property. I represent tenants. And I still find it amazing how people in our industry can't help but help themselves, but just be naturally arrogant. I swear some of these big companies, as part of their training program, I think they teach arrogance because their 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 email is cbre.com or cushmanwakefield.com or newmark.com or or whatever. It's just a fascinating thing to me and I think and I love it. I love I love the push in terms of trying to get more people to convert if if you will. And I think that that's, you know, that's that's the end goal of the CRE Digital Army um, to keep keep doing that. But it, it it's a task. It's a task here in the city and um, I continue to I continue to preach what I hear and what I learn from the CRE Digital Army as a whole, from from someone who's a part of this group that may be in the business for two or three years, or you know all the way up to to Jason and Carrie who have many many years of experience. Um, but it, it's a challenge in the city. I, I well I was really I have to be careful how how I say this, but I was with somebody this week at a at a major sporting event, and it's somebody who ended up at one of the large firms that, you know, come to mind. I saw that. Through an acquisition. I saw, I saw the video. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it away already. Um, so, you know, and, and, it, and they ended up at one of these large firms through the acquisition. And through an acquisition of a company that was acquired because of their brand and culture. And what this person said to me about how it went from, you know, being – uh, essentially like the, the, you know, the greatest thing that ever happened to this, you know, major corporation once their company was acquired, because again, they were, they were acquired because of the brand and the culture of a, uh, you know, of a independent boutique, awesome firm. And 
they started to, in very short order, be almost ridiculed for that, you know, for the magic and the, their superpowers and what they were required for in the first place, to the point where, you know, the top brass who all, you know, signed uh, five-year contracts essentially are, you know, hey, uh, we only have 239 days left in our contract, but who's counting, right? So it's just it's just an interesting dynamic of kind of history repeating itself where, you know, the, the Cushman acquisition of Massey Knackle is another just great example of, you know, watching something really special get acquired by a, a big firm and, and losing everything that was special about it. Right. The minute that that brand goes away, the minute that logo goes away, by the way, I mean, I deal with a ton of private equity and we all know that when a private equity firm gets involved in an awesome independent restaurant, you know, chain that is spectacular and great at, at, at everything that made them, uh, you know, get acquired in the first place, a lot of times that magic disappears. The private equity starts saying, hey, we're paying that person at the front door of that restaurant too much money. Meanwhile, that person's exactly why that restaurant's so successful, um, you know, and they start trying to figure out how they can save as much on as much things as possible. And I think that's just corporate America. So I think, uh, it is. you know, Jay, I, and I, I apologize if I, if I cut you off there at the end. And, you know, I know the person in, in the video because I know him for like 30 years and he's great. He's, an, he's a dear friend. And I know I know the whole story. And I think that, you know, what you can help but get to. And I know, you know, I know the Massey guys, and we're, you know, we're all friends. We're all, we all know each other all a long time. And, and, in, and in fairness, I guess if that's the right word. Look, people, people in the end of the day are still going to be lured by the almighty dollar. And sometimes it's just maybe in some cases it's just too good to pass up. And I think what becomes, you know, more interesting is for the, the people at the bottom. You know, we have this conversation about about a top heavy pyramid and the age demographic, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the senior, you know, age aside, the senior level partners and things like that, they score big money. Um, the question becomes, what can we maybe as a CRE digital army group do to help our industry by helping those that aren't at the partnership level, right? We want to get them out, you know, that that's the thing. And I think yeah, we, we could yeah. we could spread around exactly the money to the people on the team in a more fair way. You know, yeah. I'll use Morgan, who, who's in the audience, as a good example. Right. Morgan had never done a national company rollout, you know, uh, before joining Sabre. And, and when I spoke to Morgan for the first time, I said, you know, Morgan, you're going to jump into a very active accounts that not only are you going to learn on, but you're going to earn on. You know, and, and I can promise you if you were to join a CB, Newmark, JLL, Cushman, you know, insert any other large firm here, you would be like that junior person getting coffee on the account for the next X amount of years. And that's just the way it is, the way it's done elsewhere. Right. And and I think that, um, you know, I'm trying to do my part because I know Sabre's nothing without Morgan. Right. And at the end of the day. I need to, I, I'm creating something that's more for the people. And to Allison's point earlier, Sabre's brand is a culmination of the personal brands of the individuals that are under the Sabre umbrella. 
Like it's my responsibility as an owner of Sabre to focus on the brand on some level, but I also know that what makes Sabre magical and unique and a different value proposition and very current and future forward. Oh, I think we lost you, Jay. So how do you join the digital army? Carrie, you want to take it? Yes, I would love to. Hi, Jeff. Um, You can go to the CREdigitalarmy.com and apply. And it's very, it's a very scrutinous process, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, No, it's very inclusive. You just sign up and you get to be part of this crazy little gang. And we all just kind of collaborate and support each other. We do two clubhouses a month, two Zooms a month on workshopping on how to have a better, more impactful presence on social media, as well as how do we make some deals together across the country. And it's a hundred bucks a month and you get Canva templates, guides for social media. You join all this kind of stuff, all of that. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Allison and Jay and Court and, and Jeff and Kyle, I was wondering, well, the question I was going to ask earlier is what advice do you guys give young people who want to get into the industry who are only being, who are only seeing some of the more old school opportunities and that's not really what they want don't do it i'm just kidding (laughs) i have have my son like work on books with me and stuff so he's like into it he's he's 14 um let me see you definitely need to find a mentor and the right mentor and you definitely need to learn how to bring the business in yourself and bring it to a point of you know, this person's ready to sign an exclusive or you were to the point of, you know, bringing in the right mentor to the table to pitch the business. You need to, I, I think I'd say have another sales job beforehand because the, combined with the real estate combined with the sales makes it nearly impossible for somebody to, to succeed. But if you take the sales, if you bring the sales to the table and you can, you know, cold call and, you know, getting uh, tenants and, uh, network and whatnot and you've done those things before under under a less um pressure cooker type environment then you'll you're you know you're liable to be more successful in commercial real estate and when i say yeah sorry when i say something when i mean i mean like selling like steak knives or something like that like that's, that's what i mean i don't mean uh residential real estate i think residential real estate is the wrong way to go Cause it's got its own challenges and then you're dealing with like a lot with like, you know, learning product and all that rather than focusing on the sales. You need something that's just like the easiest thing to sell, but you just have to go out and do it. Thanks Jeff. That was awesome. Kyle, you want to jump in? Yeah. I mean, I was just, I'm actually in the middle of writing a carousel about just this. And I think, you know, being that I, I came in this industry as a career changer, right. Um, and, and I did work at CB and I'm grateful for my experience there. Um, but I think one of the, the challenges that this industry has and, uh, something that can create more opportunities for young folks in this business is instead of latching on to what and holding on to what's been done, why not look at the skill set that they can bring to the industry? Um, that's maybe not traditional 
but could still be an advantage. So in terms of, obviously, I think of digital marketing, I think of video production, content creation, film editing, um, you know, if you take a look at Fiverr or any one of these gig economy sites, um, the folks that can create Facebook ads, that can create um, Instagram um, ads, YouTube ads, um, you know, the prospecting, cold calling, I get it, you know, cold calling still exists and there's a need for it. Uh, I don't think it's a pillar of the industry anymore. Uh, I think that there are young folks that bring a variety of skill sets to the table that just are not considered by the industry. You know, I, if I can just jump on a little bit and tie uh, maybe a little bit closer to what you had said, Allison, in terms of having talking to someone who's young and looking at one of these bigger firms, if I had the opportunity to speak to that, to that person, what, what I would say to them is make sure, you know, before you commit to one of these bigger firms with whatever understanding you have with them, make sure you've really, really done your homework because it's like anything else out there today. The information is there for you. Just go grab it. So, so make sure you go find, you know, the digital army online, make sure you go find Sabre online or carry Bob and co online and, and people and companies of that ilk and go have that conversation and, and understand and try to see, see things with a wider lens before you make the commitment and really understand because, you know, you, you know that if you walk in the door to that, to, and I'll just say CBRE to the large firm, whatever, that person's going to sell you and you're going to want to be there. And I get it. And, and, and maybe that $35,000 a year starting draw or whatever it is, is, is enticing. But if I'm, if I'm, if I'm a newbie and I'm coming out of school or I'm transitioning, I would really, really make sure I utilize the tools that are at hand and see what's really out there. Because, you know, our whole effort here is to change the industry and to show people that it can be done can be done differently. And, and I get it. And, you know, Jeff seems to have a little bit more of an old school mentality, similar to me, we've probably been around the block kind of thing. But I think it's part of changing and, and that, that someone should really, really be, be learned and see what's out there before they make a final choice. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there, Corey. Um, and hello, everyone. Thanks for having me up. Woo -woo. Thanks, Jay, for the shout out earlier. Appreciate you. Appreciate um, you more, homie. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as, you know, this topic on newbies coming into the industry, I definitely agree with Corey and Kyle and um, Jeff and always. But, you know, it's just like as far as, you know, coming out of school and everything, Definitely see what's out there, interviewing with different brokerages, seeing what you like, what you don't like, and really getting a feel for the, the differences between each brokerage and each team within that brokerage, just so, just so you have an idea and you can also get a feel of, of where you think you're going to fit in the most. Morgan, I, I, I want to I use you as a an example here because we're talking about, you know, a traditionally a lot of folks who are in commercial real estate are, are hyper locally focused. And for somebody like you and for somebody like myself and for somebody like Allison, you know, we don't really want to have to be tied to one place. I was for the first, I don't know, 13 years of my career. 
uh, focused on New York, you know, and the New York Metro as a whole. But, you know, for me, like I kind of created this lifestyle of, oh, shit, I want to do deals in Austin, Texas, and I want to be in California next week and do deals there and, you know, so on and so forth. So, you know, I think that the the young people are going to really want to find a place, you know, and, and a niche that allows them to not necessarily be tied to a very hyper local market and have to learn every street corner for the next, you know, 40 years of their career type thing. And I think that that is evolving too. I think, you know, we're doing a good job of kind of, you know, that national advisory thing that allows people like Morgan to focus on markets that are not necessarily within a, you know, 10, 20 radius of her backyard. And I think that creates almost a new, uh, just a new opportunity for people that move differently than we're used to as an industry. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely agree. And it really, it depends on, I think it really also depends on the individual. Um, you know, and all, of course the younger generation is most of most of us and them are looking for more of a flexible nomad type of work to where they can work remote they can work wherever they want um and you know they're not tied down to one place but you also and you also do have those individuals cuz you know my old team members i mean he was he was just he just got out of college and he is 100% okay with being local and dominating the San Antonio market and the industry or in the industrial side of things. And then also, um, one of my business partners son is also interning with that company. And, you know, my business partner, he's been in San Antonio his whole life. Like he lives and breathes and dies in San Antonio. So I, I mean, I, I really think it also depends on the individual and, and what their style is and what they're looking for, because not everyone, not everyone is going to want to stay local or just work in one market. And not everyone is going to want to travel all over and work all over, which, I mean, that's, I've always wanted to travel. I've always wanted to work in different places. So I, I mean, that's, that's where I've, that's where I fit in, you know, but that's my two cents, I guess. Now I'm just rambling, but yeah. Such a good point, Morgan. And I think what you said, I just want to underline and star and circle for folks, which is if you know someone who's trying to get into our business, or if, you know, you are that person trying to break into our business, don't be distracted necessarily by the shiny object or what, you know, the branding or the reputations might tell you you should want, but really hone in on what is of value to you. What are you ideally looking for? Is it, you know, a really team oriented culture? Is it the ability to come in and work on deals 
pretty early in your career? Is it, you know, wanting to make sure that you have a mentor that has great experience that can sort of guide you and lead you? I think creating an understanding and getting clarity around what is important to you will really help you as you're having those conversations to avoid making the obvious choice um, and then, you know, maybe not um, evaluating it with enough scrutiny, um, which is what I see from a lot of folks who are maybe six to 12 months in, you know, they made the obvious choice and they're unhappy because they didn't ask enough questions or they didn't do enough due diligence. They just assumed, you know, well, if 20,000 other people (laughs) made this choice too, it must be a good one. Very well said. I, you know, I will add to that, by the way, you know, my, if I could choose any mentor, my, you know, when I initially got in the business, uh, it would be very different than the mentor that I would choose today. And you're going to grow and evolve uh, as you grow as a person and grow in your career and, and, you know, beyond business as a human, right? So um, I think it's important to, to really, you know, not just choose a mentor because they've been successful, you know, in, in the traditional sense uh, or in a different time. Um, so I think all of those things need to be taken into consideration. Um, and yeah, I think it's extremely important to, to vet that out based on your wants and needs, your individual wants and needs and what, not what somebody else tells you you should look. You know, I, I, and you're, you're hundred percent correct, Jay. I want to throw out one last thing and I apologize. I have a, I have a 12 o'clock that I have to jump to and, and maybe this, this forum is not the ideal forum, but I think as a CRE digital army statement, and we've talked about this and, and I know we titled this the great resignation. We really didn't even talk along those lines. We, we, we've really talked a lot about newbies coming into the business, which I think is, is tremendous, but from a great resignation perspective, and maybe it's a smaller group, it's more personal, and we've offered it at the executive level at CRE Digital Army, if people on this group or they know people who are looking to transition from one brokerage to another brokerage and want to know how to handle that situation, um, I think people need to realize that we're here to help them along the way because we've all experienced it. And a lot about a lot of that is about talking not only about your new deal at the new company, but it's what's going on with the transactions that you're leaving behind, compensation, and all of that stuff. So again, to the group here listening to the Army, know that myself and Jason and Carrie, we've been around the block on this stuff, so we're here for you um, anytime you want, separate and apart. I love that. I also think, too, maybe a good topic for a few weeks from now for us to talk about, you know, that all the different things that go into making a decision like that, questions to ask, how to advocate for yourself and all of that. I guess parting sort of thoughts or wisdom from any of the speakers or moderators, you guys have things to share that you want to end on because we're right I, at the hour. I got one. Go ahead, Jeff. Just to add to what I was saying before, um, you want to make sure that you, the mentor that you find can actually close businesses, not just a relationship person and can close on the cold, those cold pitches that you bring them in. It's a bit, it's a big difference between a relationship of where you're brought into something and you just need to sort of move it down the track and actually pitching business. And you got to make sure, I think a good question on an interview is, you know, pitch me eventually, not, not right in the beginning, but you know, eventually in the relationship, when you're about to make a decision, you say, Hey, can you pitch me? It's a little bit like, um, it takes a lot of chutzpah to say that, but that's what I would say. 
Jay, you want to yeah, take it? I'll, Allison, sure. I'll just jump in and say, you know, what, what, uh, what I really, you know, what I, I'm really excited about is again, the, 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 the little movement, you know, the, the ripple that we're creating in an industry that is just super traditional and, and outdated in so many ways uh, is really, you know, it's starting to, to magnify and, and, and compound and, you know, it's going from a ripple to a wave and uh, I'm just, I'm happy to be involved in it. And, uh, and, and I love you guys. So great discussion. Thanks, Allison. This was tremendous. Have a great weekend, everybody. Love you guys. Kyle, Morgan, anything to say? Final thoughts? Kyle, yeah. bring it home, babe. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just uh, on Corey, I know he jumped off, but, you know, what Corey was saying, um, I experienced a young guy who, who wanted to get into this business. And, you know, it was unfortunate that he didn't, he, he wound up not wanting to do it. And I do think that, you know, asking those questions, uh, as he was saying, is a very important thing because you can be misled by a name and you can DM me and, and, and call me. I'll give you my story. But um, you can be misled by a name and you can be misled by a logo, um, but really find out what you're getting involved with um, before you sign on. So good. I love that that discernment piece. Jay, you, do you got one final word? Uh, yeah, I'm celebrating that, uh, everything is evolving in a, in a much more accelerated way as a result of the pandemic. So, um, you know, I, I, am always a, a glass half full kind of person. Uh, so of course I never want to, you know, take away from the, the, the bad side of the pandemic, but I do want to emphasize that there a lot of good things are happening. Uh, you know, we're asking ourselves a lot of really great questions, you know, and we're not necessarily settling any, any longer for what may have been acceptable pre pandemic. And I think that's, uh, that that's great. And I think it's going to take us where we need to go. So good. Final words. Do not settle. Thank you so much, everybody for joining us. Thank you to all the amazing moderators. Happy Friday. And peace, everybody. Peace. Bye.